beware of leadership advice in general. I think, you know, understand, <laughs> understand and diagnose the source of who's giving you what piece of leadership advice. You know, I think, um, I love it. You know, I, I was I was basically told before I moved to the West, which is you're going to be a, a small fish in a in a big pond, and that's not necessarily bad leadership advice. It was just leadership advice by given who, who was given by uh, that was given by someone who succeeded by staying where they where they where they where they stayed. And so you know, all leadership advice, in my opinion, or at least some of it, is, is basically validation for your own career decisions. So take it with a grain of salt. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 3% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Welcome back. Lead the Team Nation. I've got Nicholas Chidiak, who's the Chief Strategy Officer over at Razorfish North America, where he oversees the brand and experience capabilities of the organization. Now, Razorfish not familiar with it, quite a memorable name is one of the premier integrated marketing agencies born from digital. Their promise is to translate a brand's purpose into performance across Web3, retail, digital products, commerce, and campaigns. Now back to Nicholas, he holds an MBA from the London Business School, and a master's from the London School of Economics, and also an undergraduate from the American University of Beirut and currently guest lectures at NYU. He comes with a, a global perspective, which he's going to give us today, a global perspective to leadership. Originally Lebanese, grew up in Greece, and worked in Beirut, London, Dubai, Chicago, and currently in New York. Wow, great cities and cool countries. Nicholas, welcome to Lead the Team. And thank you for having me. Whew. So obviously you have a global mindset because you have lived around the world. Now, one thing that, that's coming to mind here is tell us what it's been like transitioning from all these countries east to west and how has it informed your leadership perspective? Um, it was the transition from, from east to west uh, was, was really, really difficult um, for, for, for a variety of reasons. I, I was brought to the U.S. for a turnaround job. I was I was brought in to to run Kellogg's um, brand strategy for North, for North America, and it was a turnaround job. Um, we had lost bits, started to lose bits and pieces of the business. The morale of the team was was quite was quite low, and so I think I was Ben. I was a bit of a hail mary, which is all right. Let's let's bring this guy from from Dubai, you know over and, and, and see whether or not it, um, it works out. All the best marketing minds are from Dubai. Well, it, it, right. I'm just exactly. kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't mean, I mean, you know, no, no, they, 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 um, there, there's some incredible minds there, but, but moving over from the East to the West, I think I, I faced a, a major, uh, major case of imposter syndrome. Mm. 
um, for for a couple of reasons. Number one is the learning curve. You know, I was I was brought in to look after Kellogg's and I was not familiar with a lot of the products there. So, I mean, I didn't even know what a Pop-Tart was, you know, before I started working on, on Kellogg's. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so that, that was I number know, one. I grew up with Pop-Tarts in the household. So yeah, it was, it was part of, but yeah, but, well, but yeah, so, but that might've given you a strategic advantage. Possibly. I mean, you could look at it with, with fresh eyes, but you know, coming in, I was like, okay, I have, I have no idea what a pop tart is. And, you know, and so I needed to understand that number one, number two is I came from the East where, um, you, one of the values around the culture is respect for elders and respect for, um, and when it came down to the corporate world, it would be, uh, tenure and, and rank were highly correlated. And so all of a sudden I was brought in to oversee a team that was, uh, for the most part, older than me. And so there was a lot of cultural tension from my perspective, which is, sh- should I be managing this team with people who, who have another 10 or 15 years more experience than me? So that was kind of point number two that made it a little bit challenging Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, point number three is just, there's, you know, some people have just a general insecurity about moving from the East to the West. You know, some people would frame it to me as though I was, you know, to use a, an American sports metaphor. They're like, you're moving from the Euro league to the NBA. And so in your heads, you know, it's, it's, it's tougher. The people are better. And, and so you have that, that, um, that psychology. Mm-hmm. And so, so it was a real, real challenge for me just mentally um convincing myself that that i was deserving of the job and i could i could do the job um so so that was kind of the 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 context um now fortunately i was i was lucky enough to have succeeded for a couple of factors some were in my control and others were not number one is i think one was accidental which is i mean ben i i was in awe of where I was working. I mean, we would do the Chicago boat river tour and then they would point up to Leo Burnett and they would say that was Leo Burnett home of Tony, the tiger, you know, and Mm -hmm. I was just literally starstruck. And so I think turning up to the job and turning up to Kellogg's and saying, well, one second, you know, that's Tony, the tiger. And, and just being enamored by it just created a lot of positivity and just natural positivity around me. Um, the other, the other, component was I, I had incredible partners. I was very lucky to have fallen into a team, which were really, really strong. Um, and then things that, things that I did that, that helped me succeed was, you know, the healthy, healthy dose of insecurity forced me to work a little bit harder. I would attend all focus groups, even though I was an EVP, you know, I would literally travel to, um, throughout all of America and, and just watch America eat to understand, um, the U S. And so that helped me upskill at a much faster, um, at a much faster rate. Um, and then, uh, and then I think the other factor was we, we had a, we right-sized the team. We rotated people off who just were burnt out and just not interested on working on the brand and found people who were fresher, hungrier, um, and just willing to roll up their sleeves and, and managed to turn it into, you know, somewhat of a, of a, of a success story. Um, and then, uh, and then I think the final, final kind of point that helped me succeed was 
it's, I know it sounds so, so small, but presentation skills, like we, I came from a, from a market and from a place been where we, they were, we were absolutely obsessed with the craft of presenting work. And so, you know, we would rehearse, remember the, the stories of our, our managing director used to put newspapers on the floor and make us present on these newspapers to stop us from pacing. I mean, it was, it was that, that disciplined. And so, um, so, you know, I was uh, pretty good at that. And I would, I remember I would, I would, before presentations, I would call out my mother and, and rehearse with her. Uh, and my mother is a 70 year old Lebanese woman. Her third language is in English. And I'd be like, all right, mom, you know, I have a presentation. Can you put me on loudspeaker? And then I would literally rehearse with her. Yeah. I have no clue what I was talking about. Um, so I think those were, those were kind of factors that helped me overcome the, the difficulty of moving from the East, um, to the West. Yeah. Well, the word that really comes to mind through what you just said for me is preparation. You seem like a guy who is into preparation, not afraid to do the reps and rehearsal. You said to attend the focus groups to help close any gaps you have before it's time to get down to business. Uh, the craft of presenting work. I like the newspaper idea. I like the rehearsal idea. I think a lot of people, when they present, they, I'm curious, maybe you can walk us through what your rehearsal process is. Cause I think a lot of leaders, like I can remember this when I was back, you know, working in the corporate world, where just you'd see leaders sitting there in silence pushing a button, going through their slides, but not necessarily rehearsing it aloud. And I think that oftentimes uh, it is a miss for leaders where they're not actually rehearsing it. And I love the idea of you presenting it to your mother, forcing you to actually get your message out through your mouth. Uh, what, what other ideas? Yeah, it's uh, interesting. Ben, 100%. And I think, I think what you said is interesting. It's forcing you to hear yourself present it. And I think that's the difference between you clicking through something and, 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 and hearing it in your mind. And I think what, what my mother allowed me to do was hear myself present it and hear the transitions from one point to another and find out where there's a transition where it's a little bumpy. And um, so that was one. And the second environment is I find, you know, rehearsals are also a very, rehearsals are also very delicate because you also, when you're, when you're rehearsing in a room with 15 people um, the night before a pitch, I also find that that room can, can create a ton of insecurity um, because you have people questioning, well, why don't you say that this way? Use this word over here. And then, you know, you, you don't have a ton of time to change course. Mm. And so what that could potentially do is create insecurity. And so what, it, what my mother allowed me to do, and again, this worked specifically for me, Ben, and, you know, may have, people may be different. Um, is it my, you know, my mother, you know, is just a safe space for me to, try stuff and, you know, and hear myself present to your, to your earlier point. And, and building on this, and I think about the listeners, uh, and this is a really good deep dive on this because you've done a lot of the presentations here. Uh, in that when you're rehearsing in front of someone, you can be a, you can let them know what type of feedback you want. So Mom, I just need a safe space to let this thing erupt and see what happens. 
Um, or like the night before a big presentation, okay, okay, group, we're all going to come together. Um, this is the kind of feedback that will be helpful. But all of this other stuff that's going to involve us actually changing our slides, let's agree we're not going to change our slides unless there's something really terrible <laughs> on there. And that we're really there just to work in a supportive environment and work on transition flow or something like that. 100%. Versus reinventing the wheel and I before, um, and like destroying your confidence because you're like, well, what did my team say? Like, and then you're up all night, and I have been in this situation <laughs> with my sales team back in the day, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is not not helpful. Um, especially, word of advice: do not go out and have a few beers before you rehearse either. Does not usually help the situation. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I see you pondering that. Oh, what? So, what other? Uh, well, what other uh, tip or idea do you have for preparing for a big presentation? Um, so, a, a, a couple of things. I think helping people understand the points they're making is really important, and it's not about scripting what people are saying. In 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 my opinion, I don't I don't I don't know how helpful that is for you to script people. I think helping people understand the point and allowing them to present in their natural voice, I think is, is, Love is important. Yeah. So, um, so that, that's why my, my personal contention is that, um, I would rather someone really get clear on exactly what they're saying and why they're saying it. So they know it really, really well, and then express it in their, in their most human voice. Um, mm. and I think that, that, that for me is, um, is important, you know, rehearsing mm -hmm. is, is, is key, but I also think there's, you know, there's downside of over rehearsing in you know, my opinion. So, um, Are because you, you come off as over rehearsed, um, versus do you, can, do you consider yourself a verbal processor? Like do you process things by speaking them? Or are you more of the perspective, I write it down, or I think, and the more I think about it, I get clearer and uh, then speak. All, all, of, all, of the, all of the above, I find very yeah. helpful. When I, was in, when I was in school, I found, you know, one of the wonderful things of, 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 um, of the school I went to is they would, they would approach learning from a variety of different angles, from group work to workshops to reading books mm -hmm. and stories to mm -hmm. papers to writing to presentations. And so um, all, I find it very, very helpful to have conversations with people. I also find it very helpful to sit and to, to reflect and to distill something to its essence and literally write mm -hmm. it down multiple times. So, so all of the above. Yeah, I think for the leaders listening, yeah, that's good. Uh, that's helpful because... Think about not just rehearsing, but also where do your ideas get refined the most? And it could come at it from different angles. Uh, a lot of times verbal processors, and you can probably guess I'm a verbal processor. Uh, I'll be speaking and I'll be like, man, I said that actually sounded pretty good. And I'll sit there and write, watch it. It's very easy for me to process ideas verbally. One reason the podcast works out well. But the flip side is, is if I've really taken the time to write about it, now it's way more painful and energy intensive, but my ideas are often much more refined. 
but it takes longer. So, to, you know, I encourage the listeners out there to listen to your story, Nicholas, and maybe you listen to a few of these ideas and put together what would strengthen their own presentations. Uh, what do they need to add to that? So, so moving this forward a little bit, and I'm curious because, you know, you, you had such an interesting sort of upbringing living on the other side of the world here. Um, what's some advice that you would give your younger self today, or maybe what's something that you would tell yourself to try? Uh, ben, I, I, my last lecture at NYU, my last lecture at the end of the semester is a, is a lecture called what I would, what I would tell my little daughter on her first day oh. on the job marketing. So, so I, I, I have a couple of, <laughs> answers. I have like, I have like 10 answers for this, but again, you know, uh, you know, with a grain of salt. So I'll, I'll, um, what my, my first one is, um, helping, helping, my younger self understand that companies are not like schools and, um, and you don't get what you deserve. You get what other, what you sell others you deserve. Um, and, and the reason why is I just think, you know, people, we come out of schools and that is a very controlled environment that evaluates us. You know, you are, um, there's a very, there's clarity in most, in most cases, a very objective way to evaluate us. And all of a sudden we come into the corporate world and things are a little hazier, um, comparisons harder um whether or not you're doing your job is uh, well um good great or or exceptional is is up for up for debate and so i think um understanding that dynamic um is is important so, so, so i think that's that's number one yeah go so ahead. just to repeat that quote you don't get what you do so companies are different than schools uh you don't get what you deserve you get what you sell others that you deserve. Is that, Correct. am I, am I repeating that? Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So selling versus, Hey, my work stands, it stands on its own, right? I got my, a, I worked really hard on this report and let it, let the record show that I did an awesome job versus getting the visibility for the fact that it is awesome and that you're the person that actually did the work. So you're associated with that. And then that creates the ultimate benefit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can definitely see that. And Benny, I mean, when you think about like, if you look at the people who are responsible for your career, I mean, classically we're under the assumption that it's just your boss, you know, your boss makes the decisions on whether or not you're promoted or not, but there are so many other stakeholders that are involved in most cases. And again, this is contingent depending on, on, on your organization, but I would argue in marketing, there are a variety of different stakeholders who are responsible for mm-hmm. deciding whether or not you get promoted outside of your boss. And so I think, um, you know, that, that cliche about looking after first of all, making sure you do the, you do the job well is, is hygiene and it's important. But I also think that I would get frustrated when other people who were just better at promoting themselves would move through the ranks faster than I would. Um, but you know, it was a, it was a good lesson for me to learn. So, so, so that's, that's kind of point number, number one, um, point number two, uh, that I would also tell myself is just, um, you know, this tension we have around, like, are we, are we really following our passion? Um, and, and, and I, my, my personal piece of advice to myself would have been, would have been get good at something and passion will follow. Um, and I think 
I think when we when we spend enough time and energy and focus to actually get good at something, I think that's that's one mechanism to become passionate about it. Um, Andre Agassi is a really good example. Like he he you know didn't like tennis, n- never was really passionate about it or in love with it, but he worked really really hard. He got really really good at it, and I would argue that on the back of hard work, mm-hmm. on the back of him mastering his craft, he became passionate about it. So that's kind of well, my you brought, up, Andre, you brought up one of my childhood heroes, Andre Agassi. Andre, yeah, I'm a big tennis player. So yeah, I grew up enjoying Agassi. And man, that is quite a juicy autobiography he wrote. Yeah, amazing, right? <laughs> it's, it is entertaining and intense. Yeah, incredible. Oh, well, yeah. I remember his, uh, his commercials uh, image is everything. In the, uh, yeah, the I, rebel I camera, I, I I don't recall those, but I do recall okay. reading his autobiography, which yeah. you, I think the way you described it, Ben, is is it is intense, is hundred percent autobiography. But 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 I'll, I'll add that I think it's a kind of interesting perspective because you're like, well, I want to do what I'm passionate about, and and you're you flip that on its head a little bit, and that hey, by getting good, you experience uh, excellence, perhaps, and that generates passion when you get good at it is that is that accurate yeah that's that's 100 accurate Ben. that's 100 accurate and and don't get me wrong like if if you are lucky enough to do something you know to get into something that you just naturally love Mm -hmm. if you are lucky enough to do it but i I, you know i can i can count those people you know on one hand barely um and so i think that's one piece of advice i would have given myself is like just don't get don't get caught up with all of this mm. advice around find your passion, find your passion. Like, no, work hard at something and, and passion will follow. Mm. So that's, that's number three. Um, number four is I, 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 the big tension point was when to speak up in meetings. I know it's something super tactical, but I read a beautiful quote, um, you know, as I was younger, it was like, should I say something? Should I not say something? When do I speak up in meetings? When should, should, should I understand? And I read a, a beautiful Sufi quote um, and it, and it, and it was a, you know, and it kind of helped me frame up when I should or shouldn't speak up in meetings. And it's before you speak, let your words pass through three gates. Is it true? Is it necessary? And does it have impact? Which I thought was, I'm pretty sure I screwed up that quote, but, um, but I thought that wow. was a beautiful hmm. uh, quote. So is it true? Um you know, is there, is there truth to what you're saying? Um, number one is, is it necessary? So is it beneficial to that meeting and to, to the goal and the intention of that meeting? And then, uh, and then, sorry, sorry, it's not, is it necessary? It's, is it kind, which is, Mm. um, is it, is it in the interest of, um, yourself or is it in the interest of improving, um, on other people's, other people's work? Ooh, so practical, and I love that 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 filtering device because sometimes when and, and yeah, as a leader, sometimes you're in organiz, you're in meetings with maybe like the board, so people that have higher up, sort of on the hierarchical chain in you, and also with peers and with your team, and it's really an art to know not just what to say, but when to say it. And uh, I can I can remember back in the corporate day. Uh, a leader, uh, JT Taunton back in my days at Russell athletic. And he would, he would sit in these meetings as, as the executive, he wouldn't say that much, but when he did say something, 
it was like the whole room quieted down and listened. And it was usually something pretty darn wise in that. And I always wondered what it was. And I'm, maybe he had that Sufi quote in his back pocket to sort of filter. Yeah, I know. I, I, I've always been in, I mean, we ha- I had someone in my, in my past um, who I've been fortunate enough to still have a relationship with. And um, he's, he's still my mentor. Um, his name is Kamal Dimashi and he, he was basically running Leo Burnett in Dubai. And he, he had a very similar calm demeanor, very thoughtful, um, very measured. And his words carried a tremendous amount of, tremendous amount of weight. Um, so yeah, I was also lucky enough, um, to interact with a leader like that. So a good, a good little hack for people listening today. So Nicholas just gave us a way to kind of filter that. So maybe you're in a meeting and you've got an idea that kind of came to you from listening to someone think about maybe one, two, or even all three of those questions and process that idea before you articulate it and see if that helps it land with a little more weight. Yeah, hmm. exactly. Well, do you, do you want to keep rolling down this this really cool knowledge list, or do you want to move on? No, let's, let's move on. I mean, I, can go, I, can go, I have, Wait, I have two hours of content around this topic, Ben. So, but, um, but, um, well, but, well, maybe yeah. pick one more. Maybe pick one more, because I, really, I think these are really great for people to hear. And you said this is part of your lecture at uh, NYU, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so everybody's um, getting kind of a little bit of a little bit of behind the scenes of what what your NYU uh curriculum is, you know, that you're rolling out. It is it is my so, last class at NYU. Yeah. So yeah, um, the the final one I, I basically tell my students is educate yourself at a faster pace than change. Um and, and the reason why is I think um marketing marketing changes so quick. I mean, it would, it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, there's some fundamentals that still remain the same, but I also do think that, um, there's a lot of change. If you just look at the platforms that you use and the media channels that you use and, you know, web three was not a thing, you know, a year and a half ago, and now all of a sudden it is a thing. And so, you know, rate mm-hmm. fish, we've managed to build capabilities of, uh, in, in, in the web three space, just on the back of, um, getting good, educating ourselves, getting really, really smart, really, really quickly. And I think, um, I think, you know, for younger, younger talent, relying on your organization to teach you stuff, it's just organizations move slow. Mm-hmm. And so I think people who do really, really well are people who are, you know, self-starters, autodidacts. Um, and that's actually what we look for in, in younger talent at Razorfish, which is, have you shown evidence that you have been able to teach yourself something? Um, mm-hmm. And so, so that's, that's kind of my, my other point, like educate yourself at a faster pace than, than, than change. Well, what do you think of that? What do you think of that one, Ben? Well, I think it's pretty awesome. Uh, continuous learning is definitely something in a world where uh, change is happening. Uh, I think it, it makes sense. Your, your advice is more challenging though. You're saying, look, okay, keeping up with change, not enough, faster, educating yourself faster. So, you know, when's the time this has come up for you? And I would love to hear sort of a breakdown on 
your process with edging, educating yourself faster? Because I can definitely, that, then the rate of change, I can definitely see this being an advantage, but I can also see how it's pretty damn hard <laughs> to do that when you're trying to get your work done, maintain some level of work-life balance. Yeah, get ahead on the education side. Yeah. Um, so, so a good example would be like, I think, you know, a recent example would be that like the web three space, you know, everything, everything that's happening around the metaverse, like the wild west, right? Right. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Blockchain. You know, I think just out of, out of the gates, you know, one of the things I did do is I'm, I'm fortunate enough to work at an organization, which, which allows you to pick and choose, um, a specific courses you're, you're super interested in and, um, and they, they, they basically they'll, they'll fund them for you. And so, you know, I found a, you know, a course at MIT, a web, web three MIT course, you know, paid for it, which basically meant that I was obligated to do it and show, show <laughs> proof that I, that I, that I, that yeah, I so graduated yeah. from it. And so, so there's so, some level of accountability built in there because yeah. you know, first of all, good work on, locating something that you're interested in that also has value to the company. Exactly. Or they're going to make that investment. And then, yeah, you got to report back. You're not going to be like, well, Hey Nicholas, how's that expensive course we're paying for you at MIT? Well, I just didn't have enough time to go or something like that. That's not going to fly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, so, you know, that, that, that was, that was one, one, mm -hmm. one example. Yeah, no, great. I think people miss that boat a lot too, where um, they want their company to find things for them. And you're, it sounds like you went out and you hunted this down and uh, based on your interest and value. And I think leaders can find these synergistic things or sometimes they say, you know what, my company will never pay for that. Um, and oftentimes I think they're, they're missing an opportunity because oftentimes they will, but kind of calling back what you said earlier about, do you have to sell others on your work and what you deserve and be proactive about doing that. And it sounds like, you know, you made that connection, um, you know, and I think it, lining yourself with institutions that are on the cutting edge has got to be a great way to stay ahead of the rate of change. Also think about, um, you know, podcasting being one, not just because I have a podcast, uh, but because you, it, you will find emerging minds on podcasts that don't necessarily have a book, uh, but their ideas are out in the world and they're engaging in conversations and they'll share dinnertime conversations they have with someone that might spark a new idea for someone. So that's, that, that's one of the ways potentially leaders can do it. But I like that focus for all of the leaders listening. So when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road, Nicholas? I've had plenty of failures in my career, Ben. Plenty. <laughs> not, not all led to any success. Um, I, I, uh, I, I think one, one, I think one challenge I had was, you know, in, in a in a former life, I had, um, you know, some some ten, some tension dealing with my boss who had different views to mine, and and maybe, you know, not unlike myself, you know, maybe suffered a little bit from from imposter syndrome. And so our, our, basically our relationship was a little strained and I would get a little frustrated and, and I felt like my growth was being stinted. Mm. Um, 
and then the tension basically ultimately boiled over with um with him and 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 then they basically i i lost half my department on the back of tension i had with him and so i think that it it taught me it hurt a lot but it also it also taught me a lot and um and i i think it 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 taught me to put focus on following and and by that i mean like we are you know maybe western education is just obsessed with leadership and you know you talk about it a lot leaders and leaders and leaders but we don't spend a lot of time talking about how to follow mm. and so yeah. um and so i think i think that that taught me the importance of managing up it taught me the importance of you know viewing my role um as complementary to my boss not competitive um mm-hmm. and um and yeah it it really really helped me grow by just placing focus and i think just in leadership i think it's just so important to manage up as well it's just so important um you know because it has such impact on on your your leadership and the people who 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 you look after within your ecosystem so Yeah, you yeah. can't really have leaders without followers. And if you've never making that conscious decision to really follow yourself, it's hard to put yourself in the shoes of others. And so, man, what a great moment. You're like, "Hey, I can work on my following a little bit." Doesn't mean you have to always and also a lot of people confuse uh following with agreeing. Like, hey, I don't agree with my boss. But is 100%. there an aspect or a way you can get there to support and follow even when you don't disagree or or when you do disagree and it's hard i mean it's hard and like uh it's, it can be really really difficult but sometimes there's a creative avenue for support and sometimes it means having some extra conversations with your boss or with the other or with the team member um but yeah it can it can often lead to to also more influence with them over the long haul Yeah and I think that's it's a good it's kind of a good clarifying point Ben it sounds like you know when I say learning how to follow sounds like just do what you're told and that's not it's absolutely not what what I mean mm-hmm. I mean helping helping someone else lead you know helping them clarify their thoughts helping them um helping them create direction um I think that's I think that's that's basically what I mean and not just in what you're told and you know being subservient to someone else that's not Yeah. I mean sometimes that's part of the deal. Sometimes that's what the boss expects and you got to make that decision. Hey, are you just going to go you're going to do exactly as you're told? And I've had points in my life where that's how I rolled, right? I thought that was what the boss was a boss was supposed to tell me what to do. I'm supposed to go do it and that's supposed to go tell my people what to do and they're supposed to do it. But let me tell you that was not a recipe for long-term success for me. <laughs> Eventually people get sick of that. 100%. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's got that command and control. Yes, it can work. But it works better in a crisis and not on a day-to-day basis for you to six. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. a great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not go to bitfanning.com/insight 
So and Nick, let's kind of wrapping this up, man. And I have so many other questions that we're just not, we're not going to get to today. Uh, but what books, podcast, or music do you recommend for someone in the C-suite or who is on a mission to get there? So I have uh, a couple. I, I love Susan Cain's "Quiet in a World That Doesn't Stop Talking." You know, it helps you know just appreciate the overlooked side of the workforce, which is just introverts mm-hmm. and quiet leaders. Um, I think that a great one is the Lucifer effect by Philip Zimbardo. The, um, he was basically the, the psychologist who did the Stanford prison experiment. Oh, and yes. That, it, 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 it's incredible. And, and basically that, that book really helps, I think, helps leaders understand the power of the environment in, 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 um, in creating, um, either positive or negative outcomes for people. I think the, the idea behind that book is there's no such thing as a bad apple. There's just a bad barrel, which creates bad apples. And so you can imagine the parallels that yes. you can pull into working environments. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So for the listeners, uh, Nicholas just really gave a great little tease about that, but I do, I do recommend at least Googling the, uh, the Stanford prison experiment and just sort of recap it. Uh, this this experiment with students got to be so edgy and uncomfortable. The st- students that actually were in it had a hard time uh, sort of processing what happened afterwards. Uh, and basically, they were he was trying to push the students in a fake environment, uh, a false environment, to see how far they would go. And it's it's very disturbing. Basically. And correct if I'm wrong. Well, well, do you want to walk them through it, or do you? I real no, quickly. I think, I think I think what you have is I think what you what you said is is true. It's yeah. basically they set up a fake prison environment and basically divided very ordinary people into prisoners and guards, and then just observed their behavior, and and then eventually I think the the experiment got out of hand because the guards started to behave like guards, and the prisoners started to. Mm-hmm behave like prisoners and, and very subservient to the guards. And, and, and then eventually, you know, they eventually had to call off the experiment. But I think the experiment showed that the power of the environment on humans. And so you think of toxic working cultures and, and, and what that does are just, you know, environments where you just put someone in and then all of a sudden they become a certain way. Um, so that, that for me, maybe it's a very extreme version, but it really goes to show the power of what an environment can have on an employee or a, a person in general. A lot of talk about toxic culture, a lot of talk about this stuff, but it's amazing when you see the actual experiment, it really, yeah. really resonates. You said you had a article, is that right? Also, yeah, and then the article the article I love is um, is by Arthur C. Brooks, and it's called "Your Professional Decline Is Coming Much Sooner Than You Think." And, um, <laughs> nice. It's, it's yeah, it's and it's a wonderful reminder that eventually we all go away. Eventually, when it comes down to the corporate world, like we all go away. Like Ben, I'm I'm privileged to be here speaking to you right now, um, but you know, at some point. You know, I'm I'm going to begin a corporate. I'm gonna I'm gonna begin to decline. Um, you know, and and I'm gonna disappear into the ether. And so, I think just reminding ourselves of that and not getting 
too attached to the version of ourselves um, that comes to work and just realizing that it is just one version of ourselves. It is not the embodiment of who we are, um, you know, I think is, 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 um, is important. So I thought it was a really, really beautiful article that allows leaders to, you know, exit leadership with grace. I love that. And that is a good point, I think, for us to, to wrap up on. And I'm glad I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I haven't read this, but we'll include these three, including that link to that article in the show notes for so people can go read it. But the idea is very crisp, right? You are not your work. And when you leave your role, you make someone else will fill it or it'll get reorganized and re, you know, we and, and you hear these, I hear you offer every once in a while, you'll hear these stories that like military leaders will tell where they were, you know, treated with a great fanfare when they were pre- presenting to larger groups or to their, you know, getting all these, you know, sort of accolades through the military and then they leave their role and they're a reminder, Hey, there's someone else that comes and takes that role. I was just filling that role for a little bit of time. And it's really a call to action to, uh, to, to me to think about, well, number one, well, since you're not going to be in your role that long, what's what would make your stint in that role meaningful? It might be the culture, right? It might be something other than your annual goals. It might be the relationships that you form. Uh, but but really understanding what that is for you and uh, zero in on it and making sure that you get it done while you're there. Hmm. So parting thought, Nicholas, what is it for us? Uh, par- um... Oh, I've, I've shared a ton. I've shared a ton with you, Ben. I don't, I don't have this any, is good. Any, yes. I don't have any, any great parting thoughts. Um, so I hope, I hope something in here was useful to your, to your listeners. And again, I'm flattered to be here. Yeah. It's kind of a fun combination of sort of uh, higher level abstract sort of theories with some really practical application, which I think is always a lot of fun. And I mean, we hit your interesting background. Uh, going from east to west, that whole section about the rehearsals, the you know how you get ready for a presentation. I think people are going to benefit from in a major, major way. You shared some of your uh, NYU insights, when to speak up in a meeting, some Sufi wisdom, educating yourself faster than the pace of change, and then just really sharing some cool stuff with us on the resource front, which people always love. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, now that I, now that I think about it, if I do have to give you one piece of parting thought for your, for your listeners, it would be, <laughs> uh, be, beware of, beware of leadership advice in general. I think, you know, understand, <laughs> understand and diagnose the source of who's giving you what piece of leadership advice, you know, I think, um, I love it. You know, I, I was I was basically told before I moved to the West, which is you're going to be a, a small fish in a in a big pond, and that's not necessarily bad leadership advice. It was just leadership advice by given who who was given by uh, that was given by someone who succeeded by staying where they where they where they where they stayed. And so you know, all leadership advice, in my opinion, or at least some of it, is is basically validation for your own career decisions. So take it with a grain of salt. Ooh. Love it. Thanks, Nicholas. And it was a pleasure. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. 
Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.